Beamer Tire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair, all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no-appointment-needed Quick Lube Shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. And welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Franchise Players. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by our panel, JP Mundy, Jay Spivey, Ryan Stone. I have a plethora of topics that I wanted to get to uh, this morning. Don't forget, I needed to mention this before, forget, don't forget, we are your home for Triad Sports, in particular high school sports uh, here in the Triad. Friday night, we've got a simulcast going on for you. East Forsyth taking on Grimsley. Grimsley's the one seed in the Western region of 4A. East Forsyth is the defending two-way, uh, excuse me, defending two-time defending 4A state champion going on the road to take on Grimsley. Uh, myself and Rod Funderburk will be on the call for that one. And then uh, Ryan Stone will have Glenn, the three seed Glenn in 3A taking on the six seed Matthews Butler, who will be coming up to K Vegas to take on the Bobcats. So two of the bigger games uh, in the area, we'll have them both for you at tobacco road sports radio.com. Make sure you uh, definitely check that out. And we will have, uh, a high school huddle reunion uh, tomorrow. Joe Serrera, Dave Pulaski will be on with me uh, to go into these high school playoff brackets a little bit deeper and uh, just kind of catch up on what's been going on in uh, high school football this season. So definitely stay with us throughout this week, guys. Um, today we're gonna we're gonna leave the high school football stuff alone for just a minute and let it breathe. Uh, there's some other stuff that was going on that I wanted to pick your brains on. Of course, one of the bigger things, uh, you know, Hubert Davis, the new head coach at North Carolina, had made overtures to try to get Walker Kessler to come back to the Tar Heels. And up until around 2, 3 o'clock on Monday, it looked like they had a pretty good shot. And then uh, Kessler announced that he is leaving for Auburn uh, and and nut job Bruce Pearl. Um, <laughs> your thoughts on Kessler selecting Auburn as the, his spot to go? I know it's near his his family or whatnot down in Georgia. Uh, well, I thought his family was from Georgia, but uh, apparently it's near where his family has a lake house or something. His brother is a lawyer down there. Um, you got you guys, your thoughts on Kessler leaving for Auburn. Is this good for Kessler or should he probably have stayed at Carolina with all the roster movement they've had going on? Um, let's start with Ryan, our believe in tobacco road host and expert on tobacco road things. I think that for Walker Kessler, this was probably the move that was always going to happen. Like, I don't the, – the whole thing about, like, him ever coming back to play for Hubert Davis, I never thought that was going to be a thing because Hubert Davis coached him for a year. I mean, he can pitch that he's going to make changes, but the reality is when you've built a roster a certain way and a team is used to playing a certain way, it's going to take time to integrate those changes. Would have been tough to do within a year. So I think, I think Walker Kessler, in terms of his style of play, he's going somewhere where – Bruce Pearl's pretty much going to let him play how he wants to play, and that's more of a stretch four, stretch five type of uh, type of player because he thinks that's that's his future if he's going to make a push to be an NBA player. So I, I certainly get it from that perspective, and from that perspective, I got to kind of give the nod to uh, to Walker Kessler. I think he I think he made the right decision. I think the thing for Carolina at this point is that Hubert Davis wastes too much time trying to bring him back on something that was probably never going to happen. I think that that could end up being their biggest regret in this whole thing. That's a great point uh, that you lay out there, Ryan. Uh, Jay, what are your thoughts on this? Did Walker make the best decision for himself, leaving a place that's still 
values back to the basket post players to go to Auburn where uh, aren't they on the verge of maybe being in some sort of trouble, <laughs> like violations or something? Uh-huh. I thought I saw. Listen, I mean, I, I respect him as a coach, but uh, I think we can probably all agree that Bruce Pearl is not exactly st- uh, straight as an arrow. I believe you. I believe you could call him a crooked coach, uh, but he's a great coach. Um, he's been he's been run out of a couple places for that's for he's, sure. He's been in trouble a number of uh, uh, spots, uh, and I guess let's see, he was at um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, Tennessee, now at Auburn. He's been in trouble, I believe, at all three of them. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, seriously, I mean, I do, I do think he's a really good coach, but I mean, trouble seems to follow him to wherever he goes. So I don't know whether it's the best move for Walker Gessler. I, I honestly believe with all these changes, I think for the most part, kids would be better off just staying where they are instead of all these transfers. Cause this, I mean, the numbers that just this year alone are ridiculous. I, mean, I think I heard it was like 1300 kids have transferred or something like that. That's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. At some point, you gotta you gotta stick it out, and you feel like not everything is bad as it seems. These kids just have to realize that not everything's handed to them on a silver platter. Oh, they've been no, handed, they've they've they, they've sort of been coddled their entire <laughs> lives since they're able to dribble a ball, and you know, just because you're not getting a lot of playing time as a freshman doesn't mean that you're not going to turn out to be a good player or even a good student or whatever. Because they were like thirty-five. Jeff Peach. I just printed out like the first couple. Uh, JP? Yeah, I'm sorry. I was getting an echo in my headset. No, but uh, <laughs> and, I, and I was also looking at something. Um, I, I love Bruce Pearl. And um, I'm not going to call him. A, I'm a, I am a Tennessee fan, but I, I, I'm a, all the violations that he's been accused of and, you know, convicted of, as, as it were, um, are on my shoulder shrug list. Um, at Tennessee, he got in trouble for having a cookout, which Aaron Kraft was there, uh, a guard and a snitch who went to Ohio State. Um, <laughs> Man, Aaron Kraft, go on, carry on. Aaron Kraft looks uh, like a snitch too. <laughs> but but you know what? That they have cookouts in the Big Ten too. You know what I'm saying? Jeez, dropping so, dropping fire and, here. Uh. And so also, you know, he got he was he had um a recruit come to his daughter's graduation party when he was at Wisconsin Milwaukee. Why and, are those and violations? That, so so they are violations, and he broke the rules. And you know, but I, I think people get too over dramatic when they're talking about. It. I think the the most serious stuff has come to light because he didn't um, at at Auburn. Um, his first staff at Auburn was loaded with guys that he didn't do due diligence on, and that's his fault. Um, as for Walker Kessler, uh, I think that's the, I think it's the greatest decision for him right now because there's just so much uncertainty um, in Chapel Hill right now regarding um, the future of the basketball program. You know, I'm sorry, Carolina fans, but if the, the you know, I've had three different stories about how good a JV coach Hubert Davis is pop up in my timeline in the last 24 hours. Huh. As a Carolina fan, I, I don't, that's not what I want to read. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not interested in what he's doing on Tuesday nights with the JV like that. I, he's with the big boys now. I, I, I got. Yeah. A, I got another point. I got another point to what JP's saying. I read the Inside Carolina article yesterday about Walker Kessler's decision, and it was it was basically a it was basically trying to like taint Walker Kessler's decision. 
And it, it was extremely unprofessional to me. Like, I don't like, – NC, inside Carolina's job is to care, cover Carolina's – Exactly. So exactly. All, all, they need to say, all they need to say is Walker Kessler chose to leave. Here's what Carolina could do to try to replace him. And that, that would have been fine. But they're basically, like, talking about how he's fit. And, and first of all, those guys are not basketball analysts. Just because yeah. they work for inside right. Carolina, yeah. that's exactly right. right. <laughs> so, so that that article was it, it was bad to me. It was extremely unprofessional, and it kind of goes along with what JP's saying because I, I think the Carolina collective, if you will, of the all the media that they have that covers them are doing their damnedest to try to make Hubert look great, no matter what happens. <laughs> yeah, the spin is on. Um, I, I, I'm the I'm the the lone Carolina fan on the panel, and. Um, I started thinking about it. I didn't think that they were going to be able to get him to come back. And mainly, I blame the fans. I blame the Carolina fans for the reaction they had when he first announced he was going to the transfer portal. All these kids have Twitter. They have Facebook. They're on Instagram. They see all this stuff that they're getting tagged in for days. So, like, Walker got a chance to see the bad side of Carolina fans ever since he announced. Why would he come back? Because if he came back... He's going to be scrutinized every single time he touches the ball by Carolina fans. Oh, maybe you should have transferred. Or, oh, why do we spend so much time going after this guy? He can't score up 12 points. You know, that kind of stuff. It just it bothers me that people wear that kind of stuff on their sleeve. When he came to Kessler, and I, I commend Hubert for putting it out there that he was going to try to get him back. I think that was really more far <laughs> that he was just like, you know, I'm not going to just let him leave or whatever. But I don't think Hubert really thought that he was going to get Walker to come back. That seemed like a family decision that he had made weeks before the season had ended, you know, like I just didn't see him coming back. Having said that now, looking at the roster, Carolina went from having four guys that were 6'10 or taller that were all in rotation last year and led the league, well, led the country in offensive rebounding and rebound margin, if I'm not mistaken, like they typically do, to a team next year where we're not sure if we're going to have a guy that's taller than six foot eight on the entire roster. Like everyone kind of built six eight or smaller, depending on what happens with uh, Armando Baycott. And I know that they're looking at uh, Jonas Adu, who's Kevin Footer, a four-star uh, kid, uh, and that's a possibility. But I don't know, man. As a Carolina fan, I'm kind of uh, nervous <laughs> for the time uh, about this roster that I'm looking at right now. I, I think next year is probably going to be a lean year. I think that's uh, that's probably, probably so. Even with even with Caleb Love coming back, and you know the Savage is back, and all that. Um, but, but you will not let that die. You are not going to let that die. You're going to let that stay with Caleb Love forever. You know what? You know what? If he comes in and plays his first five games well next year, it's gone out my memory. Okay. But until he, until he plays until he plays consistently, he is not a savage. Now that would be a different if Caleb Love does the what Dean called the big leap, which is from freshman year to sophomore year. That players typically take their biggest leap in that off season. If Carolina is allowed to you know, do what they typically do in the offseason, have players come back, play scrimmages, things like that, which at this point we don't know if they're going to be able to do that or not. Um, maybe Caleb takes that leap and Carolina looks like a different team, but they still need some size. So we'll, we'll see what they do. Um, I'm not very uh, happy with what's going on right now, and it doesn't look like there's a whole lot in the transfer portal that's going to come back that's better than Walker Kessler. So um, They better get some shooters. It doesn't matter yeah. how well Caleb, Caleb I, plays. I will uh, say – They don't have any shooters. I will say DeMarco Dunn and Dontre Styles, the two freshmen that are coming in uh, from the state of North Carolina, Brandon Blakeney, who uh, has live with Brandon Blakeney on uh, Tobacco Road. I trust him with his high school basketball opinion almost more than anyone because he's just around all these kids. and He goes to all these circuits. They all know him. Uh, he's put it on pretty good faith to me that both those kids can shoot. Um, 
They still have Kerwin Walton. RJ Davis came in known as a scorer. Caleb Love came in as a scorer. If they can just actually hit shots, they might be okay, but I, they're still going to need some size. I think another another option in terms of the transfer portal, and it's not a size thing, but Bryce Thompson, a five-star who has announced today that he's transferring from Kansas, that's a kid that Carolina was involved with uh, in his uh, in his recruitment. So that's a that's a guy they could potentially go after. Now, they don't necessarily need that position, like you said, but – it might just be a thing at this point where if you're not going to have size, then you may as well just try to get as much talent as you can. Yeah, just grab a look. Wherever you can fit it. <laughs> just grab just a hope, just hope for the best. <laughs> just grab 10 or 11 six foot four kids and just rotate them all in and out and just play press defense like all night long. I mean, literally, I feel like that's what Baylor just did. So um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll find out. I wanted to move over to NBA real quick in this opening segment because I, I haven't mentioned Kevin Durant in a long time. And through various variations of the rundown and, and franchise players and other things. Uh, I, I don't care for Kevin Durant, <laughs> not because of his game. I respect his game. I hate the way he is off the court in terms of what he's doing. Have you guys seen this about him and Shannon Sharp now going back and forth? Apparently Shannon said something on uh, undisputed using quotes that weren't directly from Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant blasts him on social media uh shannon basically says you know we're men we can handle this off social media to which kevin basically retorts oh so you want to do all this all public and now you want to go behind the scenes and talk it out why is kevin durant this way like why is he this way why does he have burner accounts and why is he so sensitive to the smallest criticism i don't understand it i really don't understand it there's no need for it there's no because he's clearly one of the best players in the league and what gets me i mean not only is he sensitive it you know, I, I'm kind of baffled that the NBA didn't punish him any more than they did last week when he got in trouble for tweeting. I, I guess it was a gay, some gay slurs, I guess it was. Um, At uh, Michael Rappaport, yeah. You just can't do that. I mean, I don't care I don't care what your opinions or beliefs are. You just can't go around saying that stuff. And this isn't the first or second or third time he's done this. He's been doing this his whole career. No, he's done it, he's done it quite often. <laughs> And to me, I think it taints what I, how I rank him. You know what I mean? Like, I oh, actually, in terms I think of ranking it, players. I, I think it changed when he when he went from Oklahoma City to the Golden State. Yeah, actually, for, to for, start right for around whatever then, reason, yeah. for whatever reason, he got this giant chip on his shoulder when he moved over there, and, like, and, and he just didn't feel like he was part of the team or whatever. And I, I he was he certainly got a ring or several rings with them. I mean, two, two rings, two I mean, finals MVPs. But I never really thought, and I could see this, and I think a lot of people feel the same. I never really thought that uh, Durant earned those finals MVPs in the same way as like anyone else. Like literally he joined the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he joined the 96 bulls. Like I, I and he was already top that. three player already. Oh, I'm I not just, saying they're as good as the I 96 just, bulls. I'm just, I'm just saying LeBron did the same thing. No, LeBron built a team from scratch. They didn't have a 73 win season the year before. Uh, no, 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 yeah, no, no, Kevin no, no, joined no. that team. No, no. LeBron joined the Heatles. They were, there was only three people on the roster. It was just him, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. They had to what, fill in the rest of it. Like Kevin Durant it, went to a ready-made he, team. The point. The point was is that neither one of them at the time, at that point in their career, were good enough to take a team by themselves all the way to a championship. But LeBron had come close, and. It, but with the difference in LeBron and Durant's experience uh, joining the super team is that LeBron learned how to lead a team 
in Miami. And Kevin Durant just got more insular and, and more selfish because he was so super sensitive <laughs> of, of the same criticism that LeBron got. Yeah. LeBron didn't react the way, didn't respond the way that Durant did. Now, that all being said is I'd still rather deal with Kevin Durant on so on social media than ever watch James Harden play basketball. <laughs> the man who decided to gain 20 pounds just so he could get out of Houston, just so he could lose it and play for Brooklyn. I will say one thing though, uh, with that LeBron Durant comparison that you were saying, JP, there is a slight difference. LeBron had to learn to lead because he was forced in that position by Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade stepped back on purpose. Cause that first year when they didn't win the championship, <laughs> They, if y'all remember, they were kind of conflicted. Like, who's the alpha here? Who's player A? Who's player B? Dwayne Wade stepped back after that offseason and told him, this is your team. You lead it. I'll be your Robin. And then they went off a one-two straight. Durant joined a team that his previous team had down three to one yep. in the Western Conference Finals and lost to them, then joined the team that beat him. Like, that's, that's a different – and they already had a title. Like, the Warriors were defending champs. Or, no, not defending champs because they lost to – Three one to the Cavs uh, that second year, but they already had a ring that core group with Iggy and and Curry and Thompson and and Draymond Green. Draymond Green said it best when he said it to Kevin on the bench: "We didn't need you. <laughs> we, we didn't need you to win all these stuff." And I think that Kevin carried that around that whole year because he because Draymond Green basically vocalized what the entire world was thinking. Golden State didn't need Kevin Durant to be a championship contender or even a champion. They just they got Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant wanted a title. And he took to me, he took the easiest path possible to it. Look at all the talent that has been around Kevin Durant from the beginning of his career. <laughs> I was like, gonna he, say, has has I was anyone gonna, had more talent than this dude? I was gonna say Kevin Durant has never played by himself. Never, <laughs> never. Except the first year when they were yeah. still in Seattle, literally. Like, yeah. I mean, look at who he's had. He in Oklahoma City he had Kev, uh, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, two future league MVPs. He leaves there, goes oh, to Golden yeah. State. <laughs> Steph Curry, Clay Thompson are—they're the greatest shooting backfield oh, backcourt of all time. He leaves there, goes to Brooklyn, teams up with James Harden and Kyrie Irving, who's like the second or first best point guard in the whole league, and and he's complaining about not getting any respect. I, I, Desmond, what I want him to do—I know he had a—I know he had a major injury. Don't get me wrong here. Right, but, right and that was right. two years ago. But he's barely played this year. Even when he's come back, he keeps getting hurt. I mean, at some point, not, not only himself, but there are so many superstars in the NBA that don't play on a regular basis. I mean, I know LeBron's taken off the, the last couple of games, but for the most part, LeBron's played almost every game his whole career. And I'll give him—I'll give him his, uh, total credit for that. But these guys now, like. You can't play 75 or 80 games a year? I mean, it's not, it's not too much to ask when you're making 40 or $50 million a year. It's not too much to ask. You know, it's funny you bring that up, too, because I, I caught some slack online because people were defending Kyrie Irving because he took a personal day or something last week. No, like, this dude just took a bunch of personal days since he got to Brooklyn. <laughs> I mean, like, it's not like they get three months off, like, every year. Like, what are we doing? He is massive trouble. I mean, he got thrown out of the game of the night. Yeah. See, I don't trust the Nets. I don't. I, they they fooled me for a little bit because they were playing really well while uh, Durant was out. But I just started thinking about them. Like th these guys are going to clash. Something's going to happen. I don't. I, I assume Kevin Durant will be in the middle of it. <laughs> something's going to happen with, just the, with too the, many. It's just too many. There's too many, like, ego. There's too many yeah. egos. Also, so I, I, Philadelphia is playing very well. 
Yes, so, I think Philly's okay. going to beat them in the <laughs> semifinals, the finals of the East Coast, whatever it might be. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't trust Brooklyn at all, and I, I, I see a lot of talking heads kind of pulling back from them now too because they're seeing some of this from afar. Um, let's take a quick break. Are they ever going to be on the court at the same time? I mean, they're all hurt. Yeah, they, they haven't played all the, the their big threes played mm-hmm. what like two games together, three games together, something like that. So, ah, uh, I don't know. You can't really typically you can't buy yourself a title, but uh, Brooklyn's going to try. Can you, can you really trust when it comes down to it? Can you trust Harden and, and Kyrie Irving? No way. In crunch time, uh, Kyrie no. maybe in crunch time. No, he's he's actually no. done it. Well, he's done no. it before. He's he's hit big shots. James Harden, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. I don't trust him in any of those situations. Now Durant, he's hit some big shots in his career too. But yeah, Kyrie's actually hit him on the I big mean, stages. But I, Le- do I Le- trust him to do it? I, I don't know. That's a loaded question. <laughs> LeBron LeBron does not have his Cleveland championship without Kyrie Irving. Correct. I agree. So. I agree. I mean, and, but and I never understood why Kyrie left. If Kyrie hadn't left and they just stayed together, yeah, they no, pro- that, we probably would have ran back Warriors and Cavs another two more times. You know, that's if, the thing. That's stayed. the thing. Most of this Kyrie stuff started after he left LeBron. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Let's thing. start right there. Um, let's <laughs> let's uh, let's take a quick break and then come oh, back. Can hold him in check. <laughs> so I want to stay on the basketball topic when we come back. I was thinking about this the other uh, yesterday when uh, Steph broke the Warriors uh, scoring record that was held by Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, all time. Um, I want to get into this when we come back. Who's had the bigger impact on the game of basketball itself? Michael Jordan or Steph Curry? The answer might not be as simple as you think. We'll dissect that in just a bit here on Franchise Players. Welcome back to Franchise Players, Desmond Johnson, JP Mundy, Jay Spivey joining me here. You can actually catch JP's work in the Greatest World News and Record in Winston-Salem Journal. You can catch Jay's stuff over in the Clemens Courier. Um, I wanted to get into uh, Steph Curry. He's one of my favorite players in the NBA, and he's actually, honestly, if the Warriors had a better record, I think he'd be more seriously planted in the MVP conversation this year. I think he's second in scoring. He's been first in scoring since the All-Star break ended. Uh, he's just doing Steph Curry stuff that he wasn't really able to do the past two years with Kevin Durant being there with him. Uh, with Clay Thompson out, it's really just the Steph Curry show, and he's killing it. He broke uh, Wilt Chamberlain's Warriors record for franchise, uh, the franchise scoring record that Wilt Chamberlain set. And it got me to thinking, who has had the bigger impact on the game of basketball itself? Michael Jordan or Steph Curry? And I don't mean off the court, because that's an easy enough answer. You know, clearly, Michael Jordan affected everything off the court, uh, not just in basketball, but just in sports in general. Uh, I'm talking more like in terms of how the game is played like today, which one of these guys is more attributable to uh, the reasons why the games change, the game change like during their respective eras. Uh, JP, I'm going to let you go first here. Um, Who do you think changed the game more? uh, Michael Jordan or Steph Curry and why? You're right. That's a, um, that's a tough question, but if you're looking at it, if we're breaking it down into how the game is played today, the, the answer is Steph Curry and it's not for the best reason in the world, but um, I guess it does have something to do with analytics. But if you go to a high school basketball game, for example, mm-hmm. you see Steph Curry's influence all over the place because people are just jacking up threes all over the place. And I've always thought that 
Steph Curry and Michael Jordan both should have had a little disclaimer after every basket that they made. Michael with his fadeaway jumper. Ooh, yeah. And, Ste- and Steph with his long bombs. Like, kids, this happened after 10 years of putting up 2,000 shots per day and all a lot of work. Please do not try this without supervision. You know, because uh, I, I think it, it can, it, it, they have both, their play impacted the game negatively in the <laughs> fact that kids go out on the play uh, playground and try to mimic. But I think that Steph and his ability shooting, uh, you know, he can, he's a good passer. He's a good leader and he can get to the hoop, but his bread and buddy butter is that outside shot. And I think your people are finally figured out that if you can get your players to be good at either a being good in the post, dunking the ball or shooting from, you know, how many ever out the, the three point line is you're taking better, higher percentage shots. And I don't think that analytics-wise, anything that Jordan did um, changed that. If you know what I'm saying there, I yeah. That if you if you're looking at um, like if you look at shot charts, which weren't around during Jordan's heyday, and and when in the analytics, the most <laughs> percentage shots that now are your layups inside, like they always have been, and then your three you know, your, your three pointers, what mm-hmm. you don't want your kids taking is mid range jumpers. Ideally, if you're going strictly by the numbers. And I think a lot of that has to do with how Steph Curry changed the game. Jay, your thoughts. I, I, I agree that Steph has changed the game. I, and I certainly believe that a lot a huge percentage of kids and, you know, not even really kids. I think a lot of NBA players have sort of kind of adapted their games to what Steph does. But for me, I think it's less what Steph has done more than these coaches and general managers and presidents of teams in the NBA and college, well, well, college coaches and high school coaches have sort of gravitated to what I cannot stand in sports these days is analytics. Analytics. I can't say it just drives me nuts. People are just obsessed by them. You know, there are a lot of guys who can't shoot the ball nearly as well as Steph Curry, and they're seven footers. They have no business shoot three pointers. Yeah. Now, let's just face it. Steph Curry is probably, probably, along with his dad, I mean, they're two of the best three point shooters of all time. Yeah. A lot of these guys have no business shooting three pointers, and they're just jacking them up left and right. And to me, I think I think I think the game of basketball has really been hurt by by, by analytics. I think a lot of sports have been hurt by, hurt by by analytics because it's devolved into nothing but three pointers and dunks. I mean, that's not what basketball was meant to be when when it was developed years ago. And it was such a prettier game. And when, when you watch it and it's done well, it's a beautiful game to watch. But I don't want to see forty or fifty or sixty three pointers jacked up a game. That's just not that's not how the game was meant to be. Yeah, you know, it's funny to me. I was thinking back on like you know. I loved watching the ACC in the eighties when it was the, the, the yes. teams, you know what I mean? Like we're like, you remember having those Saturday, like quadruple headers, like in the middle of the season where it was like every team was playing. Yep. It would start at noon. It would run all the way to like eight o'clock uh, or 10 o'clock. I guess, I guess you should say. And uh, everyone played. And it was like you back then you knew there was like one guy, like on every team, you know, like mm-hmm. you knew there was like one dude, like Rodney Rogers was the dude for wake forest or, uh, Chris Corciani and Rodney Monroe from NC State are going to be playing uh, whoever from 
uh, from Clemson or whatever, but you knew they had a guy, Kenny Anderson from Georgia Tech, that everyone had a guy. And it, it, I don't remember everyone shooting threes and nobody did. I mean, you've got teams, you're right. There are teams where they're trying to get to 30 attempts a game or 40 attempts a game from three point land. It's crazy to me. And and I call a lot of high school basketball and it's filtered down into high school sports where taller kids, kids that normally would be put in the post where they probably should be, are, are not being taught how to be post players. They're not being taught how to be back to the basket, back your guy down, get a high percentage shot. And score. And I think actually, I think it's one of the reasons why I'm still in love with the University of North Carolina because they're so committed to the post game. Like no one else does this anymore. It's all Golden State Warrior kind of spread out around the three point line. And you're just kind of doing that. Now, in terms of who changed the game, yes, I agree. I think Steph Curry has changed the game more so than Jordan because while people tried to imitate Jordan while he was playing, a, you really couldn't. And B, his game really was more of a, a mid-range game, which is funny to me because people compare like uh, Kawhi Leonard to Michael Jordan, mainly because he's one of the few guys left that still shoots mid-range jumpers. Like if you if you squint your eyes and look at Kawhi Leonard when he's playing, he well, kind of looks, like, a, he looks like Jordan a little bit. I've never thought. I've never that understood. goes back to my point. Say what now? Go ahead, Jay. Oh, that gets back to my point where, you know, Jordan being a mid-range jump shooter and, and he and a bunch of others were in that era. But kids today, they don't they can't shoot a 10 or 12 foot jumper. They have it's no idea open. how to shoot it. It's they wide have open. No so. idea. Everything yeah. is three pointers for them. That's all they if if you get them anywhere near the free throw line, they they have no concept of shooting the ball from there. Yeah. And they don't and, want to. And, and it's just and, it's you know, yeah, I see a lot of high school and college but basketball. It's just it's almost ugly to watch sometime unless there's a really good team around some of these players. And some of these teams have no business jacking up three pointers the way they do. I forget who it was, but they were it was during the ACC and NCAA tournaments. Uh, some player from Syracuse who had a very uh a consistent fifteen foot jump. And they were talking about it was a low percentage shot. And I'm like, wait a minute. Now, I'm an analyst by trade. That's my career. I analyze things. I'm like, if this person makes 90% of their shots between 12 and 15 feet, then it's not a low percentage shot. That is a, if you get the ball. I agree. And he is open for that shot, then it is a high percentage shot attempt. And it's certainly way better than putting your let's say um who's the kid that went uh sar olivier sar yeah Yeah. but he had no business practicing 23 pointers a game in college now i understand that in the in the league you you are not useful in the nba if you can't shoot a three-point shot and actually and that brings us back around to who we mentioned in the first segment briefly uh sharp because is he getting the wrong info? Because I didn't see him take a 10-foot jumper not once <laughs> this year. It was all like all right there around the paint, uh, putbacks, you know, offensive rebounds, that kind of stuff, and like actual polished paint moves. But in today's NBA, is that a first-round pick? Like, do you spend a first-round pick? Mean, guy that does that traditionally? You guys know as well as anybody, these guys get terrible, terrible advice. I mean, some of these yeah. guys have no business. Some of these guys have no business entering the NBA draft. They have no business. I mean, some of these guys I've seen were, you know, they're projected second round or late second round or not even drafted at all. I mean, I mean, how are you going to make a living doing that? 
DJ Seward well, over at Duke. He, he's leaving GoPro and not looking back. And I'm like, I don't see dumb. his name anywhere. I don't that's see his name anywhere dumb. on the list to get, dra- to get drafted. <laughs> Dayron is like at the bottom of the first, early second. I'm like, dude, that means you probably should have came back for sophomore year and started, increased your average to like 15, 18 a game, and then left as a lottery pick as a sophomore. Like that se- sounds like the best path, but they want to get to the NBA early, get that year in. So they can get to the real money, but no one's telling them that, hey, you got to actually be good and stick around to get to that other contract. And that's the piece that's missing. But um, the original question, I will say this, it does feel like that the uh, driving into the paint to get a bucket, which mainly what Jordan's game was, was attacking the basket. That doesn't seem to be as much anymore because of Steph, like Steph and James Harden to a certain extent, because I see that stupid step back three pointer from everyone. I, I watched it about 15 times on Saturday when I was calling a basketball game uh, where it was like this one guy's bread and butter. He literally would dribble, 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 and he would take that two-step back, launch a three, and he, it looks smooth, but it's everywhere. Everyone's copying that. that That's one ugly move. basketball. It's it is. ugly basketball. And you're shooting a 22-footer, like a fadeaway. <laughs> I mean, literally, that's what you're doing. And it's become more of a the players are pushing outward from the basket as opposed to driving inward to the basket like they would in Jordan's heyday. Like, everyone was a driver. Everyone was a scorer if you were on the wing. Like, you weren't thinking about jacking a three. You were thinking about, how do I get to the rim and embarrassing this guy that's trying to guard it? Like, how am I going to dunk on this guy? That's not really the case anymore, it doesn't feel like. Everything's cyclical, though, and I think you're going to see – I I think you're going to see a return uh, to post – play or an or, or re-emphasizing post play um just like uh the re-emergence of the tight end in in recent years in, in the nfl but mm. i th- think that you need more things to happen like uh like baylor baylor's ability to defend and and rebound and get to the basket you know yeah. i'm not yeah. I, I don't yeah. think about baylor you know shooting three pointers all over the place I think of one of, well, they, they were actually the number one shooting three point team in the country. So, I mean, right. I don't remember yeah, them shooting a bunch of them. Yeah. They just right. were good at doing it. <laughs> so J- JP, I hope you're right, but I have a feeling that's probably not going to be the case. I just think unless something changes with the way general managers and coaches feel about analytics in any sport, I don't see this changing anytime soon. And to me, that just drives me nuts. I cannot Plus, stand analytics. Would- I have no use for analytics. It would have to start at the lower levels because I think this yeah, all started really at the lower levels too. Like until high, like high schools and like AAU and stuff start to reinstitute teaching kids how to play in the post, they're going to grow up as seven foot tall Kevin Durant's. You know, well, they're let's gonna, face it, yeah. we we see it. We all see it. There's a lot of high school and AAU coaches who have no business coaching and they don't teach fundamentals. All they That's do is just, true, they <laughs> just they just roll out the ball and say go play. They don't usually, teach fundamentals. Usually, it's the best kid's uncle or dad or someone. A, <laughs> I had a well-known coach tell me years ago, and he still told me to this day. A well-known high school coach told me. He had to just wipe away everything they learned at AAU because he. It's just because they didn't learn the proper technique and the proper fundamentals. And I, and partly, I think that's some of the reason why I didn't enjoy this college basketball season as much either because it kind of felt like uh, that was starting to trickle back in. Like in terms of, it's this participation trophy mentality that a lot right. of generations yep. growing up with, and we touched on it with Walker Kessler, where. If that kid doesn't get what they want, and as soon as they get there and that instant gratification, a lot of these kids aren't built to wait for that gratification. They want it now, and they've been told they can get it now, 
they deserve to get it now is what they've been instilled. Well, the way this rule set up, I mean, some of these some of these kids are transferring three or four times before they graduate. That's ridiculous. It's crazy. It's crazy to me. <laughs> well, talk, Matt, we were talking to uh, West Forsyth uh, head coach Adrian Snow during Titans talk on Monday night, and I, I broached that subject to him in terms of you know you guys run a program. Do you ever have situations where kids you know want to leave or you know not they don't want to stick around and wait that kind of thing? He's like, oh yeah, every year. Like we have. Tons of kids are like that. But usually they're freshmen and they don't understand that, you know, over here, the, the running back, this, the senior running back that's getting all the acclaim or whatever. Nation, at this moment, Jones. Yeah. Uh, he had to sit behind uh, Wilson the year before. Wilson had to sit behind Slade or whoever it was the year before that. Like it's like it's you sit and you wait and you learn and then you ascend to that star. You don't just come out the door as that star and know how to do everything. And I think that's being instilled to a lot of these kids. And some of that's from watching Steph Curry. Because Steph that's Curry's a parenting thing. Yeah, that's, that's a, a parenting thing. Well, some of it too. Steph Curry looks normal. You know what I mean? Like he's six one. When he first came in, he, he was all skin and bones. It looked like it was giving. He had to lift weights to be able to get the ball thirty feet, you know, down for the shots he was taking. Like in Davidson, it felt like some of those shots he was just heaving them up, and they were going in. And he just kind of captured the imagination of everybody. And if you're six one and you can, you know, drop fifty points on an NBA team whenever you want. It kind of gives hope to the little guy, I guess. And Jordan wasn't a little guy. Jordan was 6'6", and his body was built to play the game of basketball. So uh, there's a little bit of a difference there. And he got a lot bigger as he became a pro. Yeah, he did. He got, yeah, yeah, both he of them. Did. Yeah, Steph, Steph's got some uh, some muscle on yeah. now a little well, bit. Well, I still think I think I still think uh, to a large extent Steph's still underrated. I mean, you know, people look at him and say he can't play in the NBA. Of course he can. He's one of the best players in the league. I love him. I he's Steph, there's only a couple of players that have come around where if they're playing and I'm watching that game, I'm kind of following them around the court as opposed to just watching the whole thing. Steph's one of those guys. Zion Williamson's one of those guys. Jordan was one of those guys where you just even if they don't have the ball in their hand, you're just watching them like run around. If you watch Steph Curry during an NBA game, this dude runs like five miles during an NBA game because he's mm-hmm. just constantly running. Like he's running, yeah. running, 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 running to get the ball. Well, that's uh, another thing where people people don't people don't watch him move. They all they only see him shoot. Don't see the shoot. Got, yeah, they don't see the work you, before it. Yeah, you got to you got to move. You got to you got to use ball screens and everything else. And you know some of these kids, they like you said, they step back and shoot threes. That's all they do. That's all they see. They don't see him in the gym. You know. They weren't in there shooting in the gym with him. <laughs> you know, like they don't see all the work he puts in to be this good. Uh, and some of them, let's just face it, some of them's genetic, some of them's genetic too. I mean, Del Curry was a great yeah, shooter. Del Curry's his dad. That had a little bit to do with it, I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I'm sure that uh I'm sure that has a part to do with him uh being very well, very a very good shooter. Let's take uh one more break and come back. Guys, I've been having some second thoughts about this whole Sam Darnold Carolina Panthers thing. I mean, it's not like I can re- reverse the trade or anything, but I'm gonna I'm kind of nervous about this because of what it does to the Panthers going forward. So we'll, we'll chop that up here. You're listening to Franchise Players on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Franchise players. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by JP Mundy from the Winston Salem Journal and Greensboro News and Record, and Jay Spivey from the Clemens Courier. Uh, programming notes tomorrow, 
uh, we will have a special edition of franchise players. Um, we will have Evan and Kaylee from Play the Bay from the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, they are actually the host of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast over there. We're doing our tour of the NFC South and checking out what the opponents of the Carolina Panthers are doing in this offseason. So they'll join us. Uh, Joe Serrera and Dave Pulaski will be on uh, tomorrow as well to go through high school football playoffs and uh, their thoughts. And QEA men's basketball head coach Andre Gould will be on to talk about the transfer portal and how it's screwing up high school recruiting in a lot of different sports. So good show coming up tomorrow. Definitely check us out there. And then on uh, Friday, uh, these guys will be back and we'll we'll take you through uh, the high school football playoffs uh, first round. We'll pick some uh, predictions for winners and head coach Antoine Stevenson from Glenn will be on uh, as well. So definitely stick around um, this week to listen to franchise players. Uh, guys, I've had some doubts about Sam Darrell. <laughs> I, there's some things I didn't know until really like a day or two ago that had me a bit concerned. The most games he has played in a season was 14 and that was his last year at USC, which was three years ago. Um, he's had some injuries. Uh, he's thrown double digit interceptions in every season he's had for like the past, I think four years, including his last year at USC. Um, I was going into this draft thinking after they did the deal, I was like, okay, cool. Get rid of Teddy. If there's a quarterback still there at eight, you take him and you go from there. But then I started thinking about the, the parameters of the deal itself. The pan- the Panthers gave up a six round pick this year and a second and fourth next year to bring in Darnold. Darnold can sign his fifth year extension any I think after a certain date here in a week or so, he can sign a five the fifth year extension for him because this is year 4 for him. So clearly Carolina is going to extend him fifth year, otherwise they wouldn't have gave up the picks for next year. If that's the case, can they still draft a quarterback cuz now you're talking about potentially having a quarterback sitting the bench for 2 years while Sam Darnold does whatever Sam Darnold's going to do. Like, does this completely take a quarterback off the board for Carolina at eight? JP, go ahead. You're Mr. Panther. Oh, my gosh. I was about to say, I cannot believe Desmond left, it, left himself alone with us. First of all, oh God. First of all Des, Sam Darnold went from a professional organization to the New York Jets. All right. <laughs> That's I never heard it phrased that way, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> Playing behind, um, you know, a community college offensive line. Okay. <laughs> so the, the Panthers are going to give him a chance and he, they should give him a chance. And there's nothing wrong. They didn't give up very much in return for a quarterback who can play and, you know, they've got a chance for an exorcism. They don't even necessarily have to give up um, Teddy Bridgewater just to have a capable backup. Mm. Um, your definition of cap- capable may vary, yeah. but it's still, um, I, I want, I, I think the Panthers need to learn a lesson from teams like the stinking Jets. How much of the Jets' failure is on Darnold? Very little. Put the pieces – they should be taking – Carolina, in my opinion, should not be, you know, thinking about a, a quarterback right now. They have two NFL starting quarterbacks. 
what are the pieces that they can put around these guys to A, keep them upright, and B, give them the best chance of scoring and winning. So when you do that, you don't take the best quarterback available. We've already, we went over this, I think, last week a little bit. Right. You go and you take a look at what are the most what are the what is the team's biggest deficient deficiency and what can what additions can we make to give our chance our quarterbacks a chance to succeed my thought on that the more i've thought about it since we last talked about it is to draft a tight end like Kyle Pitts see if Kyle's uh, there at 8 i would love that i don't uh, think I he's going to be there gone. i think yeah, he's not going to be there yeah, I think he's going to be long gone. I think Atlanta's probably going to look at him. Um, what are your thoughts, Jay, on this? Did Carolina uh, overshoot their shot here with Sam Darnold? I, I'm not Sam Darnold's biggest fan. I think the Jets really reached when they first drafted him. I don't think he was the greatest quarterback in the world. Just just because you're a quarterback at Southern Cal doesn't mean you're the greatest quarterback in the world. However, I don't think there's a lot of risk here. I mean, the draft picks are giving them. I mean, the two and a four next year and a six this year. I mean, that's not that bad when you really think about it. For if if he pans out and even plays 10, 12, 14 games this year, I mean, to me, it's almost worth it because I mean, they're not going to get anything better than what they already have. And to me, I mean, I, he throws a lot of interceptions. And if he does, you can always cut him. I, I, I kind of disagree with you, Des, but I don't think they necessarily have to extend him this year. I mean, if he – if he has a decent year this year, you could always franchise him, which is what teams have done. Oof. Like, but a quarterback, that's going to be a big I know, deal. I, know, I understand that, but you can't. I don't know that you can give Sam Darnold a five-year deal for whatever 150 million dollars or whatever it is. Oh Lord, no. <laughs> not yet. I mean, we don't know. <laughs> I just don't think you could do that. Uh, to me, I think you're better off if he has a halfway decent this year year this year. Okay, and then if not. Just release him. I mean, well, he may not be the best quarterback. To me, I think the biggest thing for him is not necessarily how good of a quarterback he is. I think they're going to have to prove him psychologically and just fix fix it like they he's like he had those ghosts he had in New York. I mean, and plus, playing in New York, I mean, I think the media and what he had to deal with up there was probably very tough on him. Oh, he'll yep. love it in Charlotte. Just, just that that one thing alone, not being scrutinized by you know media think, from New York or whatever. I think the, I think the risk reward is actually pretty low here. I, uh, I I did find out that if 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 uh, the Panthers extend the fifth year option to him, it's like eighteen point nine million that they would be paying him for the fifth year, which is roughly about the amount that they are due to pay Teddy Bridgewater if they can get Teddy off the books by trading him and find some poor sap of a team to take some of that salary. Or convince him to cut his salary, which is a whole other conversation. Uh, it's like ten million or whatever. Although Teddy has no reason to do that whatsoever. Um, then Carolina can kind of get out of it and get back one of those picks. Like if you say you trade Teddy to Denver for a a fourth round pick, if Denver bites on that, that's fine. If not, hey, just give us the six and we're 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 good. <laughs> Here's the bigger question. Well, the is, I, go ahead. The, the bigger question I have is. Nobody's ever answered me. Who is Christian McCaffrey's backup? Well, yep. he just he just left. It was uh, what was the dude's name? Um, the guy that picked up for him when he got hurt all year. He was the main running back. Uh, I don't forgot his name just as quickly yeah, as I remember. Me it. too, Bob uh, Smith. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's gone. I think he's signed with Seattle, if I'm not mistaken. So he went out that way. You could pick up a running back in the mid rounds of the draft. 
You know, like I'm not too concerned. Oh, that's about, where you should be picking up running backs anyway. My concern yeah. is, and I've been saying this a lot over the last couple of months, is that how long can you count on Christian McCaffrey being your feature back slash slap slash slant back? And at some minutes. point he's gonna he's always <laughs> wait a minute. You're not, gonna stay, you're not gonna stay healthy forever in that position, especially as many touches as he gets in a game and during the season. These he's, uh, he's gonna get hurt. He's gonna retire early at this rate. Y'all, both of y'all are extremely the, hard on McCaffrey's if he's an injury-prone running back. No, and he's I'm, not talking, hurt no, last I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not talking about McCaffrey personally. I am talking about the position. And okay. as much as he touches the ball, he's going to get hurt, just like every other running back has gotten hurt over the years. If he was on the Chiefs, like three or four years. Yeah, if he was on the Chiefs, then. if he was on the Chiefs, I haven't. I would not have said one word about him. I wouldn't have called him Hefty Smurf last week. <laughs> now, you did call him Hefty Smurf. I forgot about but, you. But you know. What he's on the Carolina Panthers, who I can't name, but like three of them, you know. <laughs> I mean, if I've always pictured McCaffrey being used the same way, well, I've always hoped that they would use him the same way that the St. Louis Rams use Marshall Falk in terms of you don't overwork him, you know, he gets his 20 carries, you target him in the past game about five or six mm-hmm. times a game, and that's it, that's all you do because you've got two wide outs just like that offense had. And Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore were, I'm not saying they're the same. I'm not saying they're as good. I'm not saying they're Hall of Fame wide receivers. I'm saying you have 2,000-yard wide receivers and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson on the outside. You don't have to throw the ball to McCaffrey 12 times in a game to move the ball, you know? Between the Tar Heels and the Panthers, you may need counseling. <laughs> it might be a long 2021 for me, for sure. Oh, my gosh. I do I do take comfort in the fact that those Panthers, were, even though they were thin everywhere, we're five and eleven, and lost like six games due to Teddy Bridgewater, pretty much on last-minute drives, just not completing the goal, or them giving up a score at the end. Well, uh, I'm with JP. Know. I'm with JP. I don't think Teddy's as bad as you think he is, and I don't. I don't think. I don't think he has the talent around. Had the talent around him to win. He's, he's trash, dude. He's dumpster juice. Like he 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 had two thousand yard receivers. <laughs> How do you throw fifteen touchdowns in sixteen games? But That's he's got he me. Did. But but he's got like me and Spivey on the offensive line. I mean, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that might be true. That might be true. But I think I think they should go the route. Leo. you probably saw Todd McShay's draft on Monday night. Uh, he had, he has the Panthers drafted Patrick Sertan from Alabama at cornerback, and I think that's the way to go instead of drafting Trey Lance. See, you don't know what you're going to get with Trey idea. Lance. See, I'm almost at the point where if they don't grab one of these two left tackles, uh, uh, Rashad Slater from uh, Northwestern or Sewell from uh, Oregon, then I'm kind of at the point where I'd want to trade down. Trade down to the middle of the first, pick up another first, because there's still holes on this team that need to be filled. There's a bunch (laughs) of wide receivers in this draft. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of things they need still. Like, they need offensive line help. They need some defensive line help. They need linebacker help. They need secondary help. Like, they just need help. Like, they need more picks. So if they're not going to quarterback in this top 10, number eight pick they have, there's going to be a team that wants one of these quarterbacks that so they're going to fall. Somebody like have a job fair. Well, I don't, I don't hate him as much. As, I don't hate him as much as JP, but I think pretty much they're, they're putting him through the ball. microphone on JP's side there to like his disdain for the Carolina Panthers. I can just, I think I just pretty, feel it. Honestly, I think they're pretty much an afterthought in the NFL. I just don't think people, that many people care. And, you know, it's, yeah. I agree. I, that's where I am with it. And, and, and I think th- that that's my ultimate problem with it. I can't stand to watch um, an entity, no matter whether it's in sports, business or anything else, 
repeatedly act in F and with just an ineptitude yep. that is colossal. And that is what the Panthers are. And, the, and, and of course the fans go, Oh, but we go to, but we went to the Super Bowl twice. Congratulations. Once was by accident. And the second time, you know, you have deified Jake DeLone. That's all I need to know about the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> wait, wait, which one was the one by accident again? The 15 and one the team? first one. <laughs> okay. The Oh three team. That- yeah. I wouldn't say any of those were accidents, JP, but uh, that was the last time the Panthers were really nationally relevant was 2015. Oh, the, the only times they have been nationally relevant. Well, they kind of maybe no three because that, that Patriots Panthers Super Bowl is still one of the better Super Bowls ever. Like in terms of the back and forth, the competition, it was a good Super Bowl. And the Jenna Jackson oh, thing in the middle of it. That, that, it's and, memorable. And, oh, that's yeah, right. So nobody remembers that game. So nobody <laughs> they were national. They were nationally um. So they're they're proving they, point. Nobody remembers that game. Everybody remembers that game, Jay. Yeah, everybody they remember remembers halftime. They remember halftime. <laughs> they, they still remember have the, 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 the wide receiver who had to hide in the trunk and with the shooting oh, no. and all that kind of stuff. They <laughs> oh, were national. No. They were nationally relevant then. If the if the Carolina if the 2015 Carolina Panthers had won the Super Bowl, they would be one of the top three teams of all time. And there's, oh, there's, come there's, on, Desmond. Come seriously, on, Desmond. look at it. They would have looked. They would have finished the season. I set, think my uh, heart eight, just stopped. Think about no. I know it sounds crazy, but think about it. They they would have finished that season eighteen and one. They they would have been one of only three teams ever to get through a season with just one loss. The other two being the 49ers and the eighty five Bears. They had a top ten offense, a top ten defense. They had the league MVP. They had the coach of the year. Oh my god! Well, what are you Somebody going to open a window you, in your studio. They were the top scoring about, offense in the league that year. Like, why would they not have been considered? The, what are you going to say about the Patriots that lost to the Super Bowl? But, but after being undefeated, same thing. Don't you think they, they were a little they, better? Don't same, you think they were a little better? They would have been. They would have been if they had won the Super Bowl. They would be considered the uh, greatest team of all time. I think a large, a large part of it comes for me is where I, I know I'm going to get a lot of pushback here. I oh, think, <laughs> except for that one year. Cam Newton is one of the most overrated quarterbacks in the NFL history. Whoa. Yeah, you're going to get some pushback on that for me. Have you looked at the record book and yes. seen how many records this dude owns for, for that no one will year, ever break? Except for no, not that. Year. I'm talking about his whole career. Like, if well, you go and look I, up Cam Newton I, and his Desmond, records, after, after that one year, he's been hurt. He can't throw the ball down the field. I mean, and part of it is being hurt. But yeah. I still say he's one of the most overrated quarterbacks in NFL history. How do you mean overrated? Because he he's never to, underrated. If he had gone to a real, if he had gone to a better t- team um, that put better people around him, his story would have written, played out a whole lot differently without the injuries and probably if a couple of more MVPs and a couple more Super Bowls. He was just an an unbelievable quarterback and athlete coming out of college and showtime. Yeah. And, and when he came to the Panthers, I was devastated because I knew that they were going to ruin him. Well, they ran him in the ground. Like I didn't, I did not like them running him like nine, 10 times a game. They didn't, they they, don't need to run him 80 million times a game. And I didn't like the fact that they would lie to our faces at the beginning of every preseason. Oh no, we're not going to run cam that much this year. We're trying to save him. And then by game four or five, I was like, well, we can't move the ball. Just let Cam run it. He's bigger than everybody. And they would just they would just let him run it like 10 times or whatever. And he wanted it. But I think looking back on it now, if Cam could do it different, he probably would have saved his body a little bit more. 
uh, to avoid what he's going through now. And well, going he's back to, a going, show of his former self. Yeah, well, and I don't think he's going. Well, I, I don't know if he's going to be able. I don't to get understand it why the. I honestly don't understand why Belichick resigned him. I, I just think I just I'm baffled as to why the Patriots resigned him. Well, I mean they have Jared Stidham. Like you know what I mean. Like Cam's well, an upgrade over Jared Stidham, but well, you want to start a rookie? really ever last year? He can't throw so. the ball twenty yards last year. Well, that was after he had COVID. Like the first three or four weeks of the season, Cam's playing great. Remember they had the Saturday night game or the Sunday night game against Seattle. That, that, over Sunday yards. Can, that Sunday night game, I, whenever I forgot when it was, I guess early I can't in the year. Just, no, I'm talking about there was a, there's one later in the year. It might have been a Monday oh. night game. He couldn't th- he couldn't throw the ball 20 yards. Yeah, at that point he couldn't throw the ball that down was the field. Yeah, that was after he had COVID, and I don't know how COVID affected him because he was playing really well considering he got parachuted into the Patriots training camp in the middle of a COVID year where you can't even meet anybody. Like he didn't know the playbook like at all. He's out there basically freestyling it and he was doing okay and then he got covid for two weeks and garoppolo i don't know what he's starting quarterback there so you think so i think the patriots are gonna i think the patriots are gonna go up into uh the top 10 and pick a quarterback no they might trade with the panthers no way that's not how the patriots do things i I think garoppolo is going there normally the patriots don't spend 50 million dollars in free agency either but they did that this year like i think i think watching tom brady win a super bowl without them and having a bucks <laughs> emblem on his helmet lit a fire under old bill like i think they're going to do some stuff that we normally don't attribute to the patriots way oh bless your heart <laughs> and on that note that's the end of another uh <laughs> episode of franchise players you can follow us on tobacco radio on twitter follow these guys on twitter uh at jp underscore buddy and at jspivey underscore wsj you can follow me at uh des dez underscore 3505 we'll be back next week oh, next week we'll be back tomorrow uh high school football state playoffs kicking off full gear we'll walk you through the madness starting tomorrow peace have a great wednesday